What's up, Dale Jenner Download listeners? Happy Monday to all of you. I hope you are doing well. This is Mike Davis here. And, you know, we had an idea. We, we wanted to try something that we've always wanted to do, just never have done it. And that is start dropping parts of our show out early in the week, almost immediately. And it just so happens uh, we taped this morning. We had a great conversation uh, about Bubba Wallace and about Kyle Larson, that whole incident at Las Vegas. Even Dale and I wanted to address some of the comments that we saw on social media over the week about Ben Kennedy, that episode from last week. So we had a really good conversation, and so we've just decided, I got with Alex, our producer, and said, hey, let's put out Dirty Air today on Monday. And you know what? You can expect the full show tomorrow as usual. We had Eric Jones. What an amazing conversation. Learned so much. I, I encourage everyone to listen to that tomorrow. We'll put that out. Uh, on the feed as usual, but enjoy this. This is uh, this is something new. We want to see what you think. Dirty air from the Dell Junior Download today, Monday, October seventeenth, and uh, yeah, enjoy. The following is a production This is a production. Is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Dale Jr. Dale Jr. Download. Mike Davis. I don't think Denny Hamlin even touched him. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Are you kidding me, Mike? They're getting out of the way. In the Bojangle studio. You need to watch the freaking race. I did watch the race. They hit. Just respect everybody's opinion. Let's start there. For another episode of the Dale Jr. Download, Dale Jr. Download, Dale Jr. Download. Hey everybody, episode 404 of the Dale Jr. Download is here. We got Mike Davis, my co-host. What's up, Mike? Man, nothing much. Yeah? Yeah, nothing what's up much, with you? Man, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Well, we got a cool guest today. Eric Jones is going to come in. Winner in Darlington. Uh, for Petty GMS or GMS Petty, whichever it is, I think it's Petty GMS. It is, is Petty it? GMS. Petty GMS got it right. So I, can't, I mean, you know, so much going on. I can't, I can't get it right. It's Petty GMS, but as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh, I have doubts. What yeah. is it? I know. I need to hear it every yeah. time. That's every every time I say anything, that's exactly the next thought. I have doubts. I have doubts about what I just said. Is that really the way? You know, <laughs> you're every, you're saying that you have doubts yeah, about things you said. I doubt everything that I say. Um. <clears throat> Anyways, we got a great episode for you, a lot going on. Eric's going to be great. I can't wait to talk to him. I've wanted him to come on here. Uh, We're going to get him a copy of Buster's Trip to Victory Lane. Eric Jones goes on his social media and does these little reads for uh, reads children's books. I think he's got an initiative, uh, a charitable initiative or something in terms of of, uh, promoting and and raising awareness for reading. And, uh, well, he's going to tell us all about it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, yeah. and um, also uh, want to talk to him about the loss of his dad, how that affected him. Uh, it happened in a very young part of his life, right in the middle of his of the start of his Cup career. I need to know how he, you know, pulled it together. He had to grow up super fast. I can't even imagine. So I can't wait to talk to him about that, and obviously his perseverance. Right, we see guys all the time lose top rides, and um, 
sometimes they don't recover. And, man, he has not gave up, and he's clawed, scratched, and drove to victory lane uh, in, in, uh, in just a few weeks ago or a few months ago at, at Darlington in, a, in fantastic fashion. So got a lot to talk about with Eric. It's going to be awesome to have a current driver here. Uh, let's talk about some dirty air. Dirty air brought to you by Filter Time. If you need air filters, if you're tired of going and buying them yourself, if you forgot to change them, go to filtertime.com and subscribe, and I'll send you your air, air filters when you want. You can uh, you can quit anytime. There's no contracts or anything like that. So just let me let me help you out. Last week we had Ben Kennedy on the show, and um, a lot of people gave us a hard time because they felt like we went easy on Ben. And here's my response to that. Um, I took a bit. I, I was a little bit. I took offense to it a little bit. Me too. And so, here's the thing. When Ben, before Ben walked into the room, I really was not a hundred percent sure about his stature, position, responsibilities, role in the business in the company. But the more I, the more we studied him for, you know, as we do everybody that comes on to the show, and the more he talked and discussed in the room at the table, the more I'm understanding that Ben Kennedy is really just a young guy that's going through the system that's sort of like when my dad gave me a job over at the dealership. I changed oil. I worked in the body shop a little while, taping cars. I helped the assistant. I assisted the engine guy pulling transmissions and motors. There was There was not... I worked in every area of that dealership service department and collision center except for on the alignment machine because they wanted me to get experience. And so I wasn't running the show. I had no influence over the decisions being made in that service department, over who to hire, who to fire, which direction we were going, whether we, whether we were making money, losing money. I was in there learning the ropes, and that is exactly what Ben Kennedy's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Now – he is going to one day, hopefully, take over the reins. And, and it will be probably department by department before he ever gets to the very top where, say, a Jim France or, or Lisa Kennedy is. So here's my problem. That's the problem. That's the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the issue with really asking him those tough questions about why are we doing this or safety on the car or Ben isn't the one with those answers. And Ben isn't the one today that's going to go be making the changes and steering the ship. Not even in the meetings. No. That's right. And so it's absolutely, and I have no problem saying this, and if you disagree, that is fine. I, you don't have to agree with everything I say. But I, he that is it's unfair to sit here and hammer him with with the big bullet points of the sport and expect him to give us answers that a Steve Phelps is going to give us or a Mike Helton or a Steve O'Donnell. You know, those are the guys that we would ask those questions of and Mm -hmm. expect, Hey, tell me why this happened. Tell me what we're doing and tell me why we're doing this and why, you know, you can ask those guys, Steve Phelps and O'Donnell, those questions and expect the, Expect them to have the answers and expect them to be the ones making those choices. That is not who Ben Kennedy is today. And so I sort of started realizing, I mean, I came in with some hope that I would be able to ask him a few things about the direction of the sport. 
But the more we discussed with him, the more I understood that he's not the guy to be asking those questions. And I really think I'll be wasting my time and his to try to ask him a question that he really isn't going to be able to answer. We did get to a couple things that I thought he had some influence on, and I thought he shed some light on a few things about street courses and wanting more short tracks and other things, and I was glad to hear a few of those things. We, he opened up without us really even asking him to about his father's death, and we went down to the day about how that experience was for him, which I thought was really compelling, um, and I appreciated him doing that. Uh, he didn't have to come in here, and he probably – he probably came in here with, an, with, with a plan, right, about how much he was going to be transparent. But that was a really human moment right there. Mm-hmm. That was a really genuine moment. So I enjoyed the interview. Do I wish that I was interviewing Ben Kennedy, the lead of NASCAR? Yes, and we will one day. But we want him to want to come back to the room right. when, that, when that's the case. Um, I just didn't feel like that it was – I didn't feel like asking him – the tough questions was warranted because I didn't think he was the guy with those answers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I was a little surprised by some of the backlash that we saw. And typically we kind of like let that stuff go, but you know what? It made me realize there's, there seems to be a natural tendency when people think NASCAR brass or they think of the France family, they immediately leap to a judgment. Yeah. And you and I didn't come into this thing starting with that judgment, right? Like we wanted to get to know him. I wanted, I'd never met him. Um, we did ask some pretty direct questions about things that we knew were not his in his lane, like the sign coming out at Charlotte. But you know why we did that? I wanted to see what his leadership style kind of looks like, or I wanted to see what, if he takes things personal as a France family member, but also somebody that's being groomed through the system. I, I wanted to see a little peek behind the curtain of who he is as a person, because then you get a sense of what he might be like as a leader, um, why people are so they, – they seem to gravitate towards him. is certainly like your, your Mike Helton, your Steve O'Donnells, your Steve Phelps. All of these people say he's legit, right? Well, I kind of wanted to see it and, and know why. But it wasn't like we were going to be like, you're a France. Explain yourself. Right. That's, that would be completely unfair. We would never get him back. The fact is, is that I thought we were extremely fair to him because – we wanted to get a sense of his leadership style. We also did get a peek behind the curtain. I was curious on how a schedule is built. We, it, it becomes such a prevalent point of conversation for us on podcasts and whatnot when, when the schedules are announced and you're looking at the Chicago street course. Well, we do know he has a lot to do with that. And I think, I think the Chicago street course people are already have this adverse reaction to it. And the race hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. Like, like maybe the race sucks. Maybe it does. But you and I are of the – there's a great chance we're going to still prefer ovals after that street course. I just have that feeling. However, let's wait till we cast judgment on a race for when it happens. And if it becomes this disaster, whatever. But the fact is is that you definitely want somebody that's going to take some swings. I think that that's what we wanted to see, if he's the guy that's going to be taking swings. Yeah. Well, I uh... – I, I, I hope to uh, certainly have him back, and uh, it'll be interesting to watch his progression now that we kind of know where he is in the system and, and, and in, his, you know, in his career path. It'll be interesting to have him back as he moves from, you know, when is he? he moves around in the organization, right, and continues to learn. But anyways, um, you know, if you're disappointed in that interview and thought we should have went a little harder, 
maybe one day that'll be that'll be the way I feel I can go at Ben. But just didn't think it was. Uh, we wanted, you know, is the other thing too that was interesting, Mike, and I think maybe this will be surprising to some people is that was Ben's first long form interview ever. He has never done a long form interview. Meaning, I guess that means what over fifteen twenty minutes. You know, he's, he's half sat, hours yeah, what I typically he get. sat down and chatted with different people in the, in the media uh, over his career, you know, quick interviews and so forth, but never really sat down and done a long form. That was the very first time, and and uh, they mentioned that with him coming in, they were like, "Hey, man, this is the first time he's ever done anything like this. This will mm-hmm. be a great experience for him." So, I mean, he this was literally more of his, you know, formal education as a future leader of NASCAR, was to come here and be on this show, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so do we want to be the ass that, that make him leave the room and go, boy, I regret doing that. I don't want anybody to ever walk out of this room and say, I don't ever want to come back here. Or they were treated unfairly. Right. Right, right. They, that they were not treated fairly in that, and, and that's important to us. And, and to be honest with you, he, <laughs> it would be like if somebody came to you and, and, and wanted you to explain – Every wreck that your dad caused. And it's like, if you did an interview, a long-form interview that way, and they're like, okay, your dad, Richmond, you know, 83, whatever it is. It's (laughs) like, uh, wait a second. That that's not that's not for you. You got your own career. You got your own thing. And I think that that's the case. Listen, I want people to understand. We're just trying to learn and, and get to know people, yeah. right? And and we come out on the back end knowing more than when we came in. Then we would have we would feel good about that. All right, so let's move on to Bubba Wallace and Larson. A little shoving match on on the front straightaway right in front of everybody and a national television audience on Big NBC. A very public uh, experience. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I think that the public opinion is that, you know, they're racing through the corner. Larson's getting loose. Coming up the racetrack, he kind of makes things tight off the corner, squeezes Bubba a little bit. I'd be pissed off if that was me uh, um, driving Bubba's car off the corner like that and the guy's in your door. Um, Larson did make it three wide on the inside down in the three and, and shallowed up the entry and, and lost the car and drifted up the racetrack. They hit the wall. You know, the popular opinion is that Bubba steered down the racetrack, jumped in the throttle, and, and, and hit Larson in the right rear quarter panel. I think it's basically, at this point, not NASCAR's position to to, to – um, to dive through the data and find intent, I think it's more of more of really Bubba's position to 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 sh- provide the data that proves that there was no intent. I mean, to me, it looks like it was pretty obvious. I guess is my point that Bubba tried to take him out. And if he's saying he didn't, he needs to prove why he didn't. Is well, what you're saying right? Bubba's saying exactly what he needs to say and not right. admit it. Right. right. That's that was uh, Byron's mistake, and so. The um, but I think everybody, for the most part, is pretty sure that that, that was an intentional uh, clip of the right rear quarter panel that sends the five car into the wall, takes the twenty car out. Bubba gets out of the car, walks down the apron, um, and then there's the the shoving match. My position on this, I think this is very. I think NASCAR is going to look at it the same way and look at it through the same lens as they looked at the Gragson incident as they looked at the Byron incident. The Byron and Gregson incident were different, uh, but I think it's probably a little more similar with what Noah did at Road America in terms of uh, Wreck and Sage Karen. 
on the straightaway. Mm-hmm. Took out a lot of cars. Um, I think that you know Noah got thirty points, thirty five grand. Uh, Byron's was adjusted to no points, a hundred grand. But I could see this uh, since NASCAR went and changed the rules. Uh, they changed the wording in the rule book post the Byron incident. So post once Byron wins the appeal, NASCAR goes into the rule book. There was a a line in the rule book that Mike that said when when somebody wrecks somebody on purpose, there could be points and or a fine. They took the or out. Mm-hmm. So now it's points and a fine. That's the way it reads. And that's how they won the appeal, was that and or. Mm. And so NASCAR has adjusted that line in there so that there will be a points component to the next penalty given to a driver for doing something like that, right? Wrecking somebody on purpose. I think, if I had to guess, it's going to be 100 points, 100 owner points, 100 uh, driver points, and $100,000. Could be a little more on the monetary side because of the speed of the of the uh, the you know going 150 miles an hour and having that intentional crash a little higher speed I, I I could see them maybe maybe going a little higher. There was also the issue with Bubba getting out of his car and walking down the apron. I think that NASCAR made a rule a couple a year or two ago about getting out of your car and walking down the racetrack or walking anywhere going Be, away being from, on the racetrack. Going, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's being on the track just leaving your car uh, right if, after a crash. I don't know what the I can't remember exactly what the rule was. I was kind of digging for that but couldn't find it they may have a problem with that i don't know if they'll do anything i think for some reason i want to think chase elliott did it got out of his car was it at darlington yeah, when he got wrecked by kyle bush kyle bush he got out of his car they made a rule yeah i, I don't know the exact will be right yeah, the- you have to be you have to be escorted by an amr safety person into the mm-hmm. ambulance if you're not able to drive your car okay back into the pit yeah. area and he was not having it Right, and so they, they may look at that and have a problem with that. I don't know if they did anything with Chase, and they might not do anything on that type. I'm saying, will, they, will, will there be a monetary issue with that? I don't know. But uh, anyways, that's kind of the way I look at it. Um, you know, the, the, that, the detail that NASCAR has about what Bubba did with his steering throttle and all those things will be massively detailed, way more than we were able to show you on television. And so uh, when it, they'll, they'll have a lot of information to be able to make their decision on the intent mm-hmm. in that moment. And I feel like with the information they'll have, they'll be confident on what they decide. And so that's why I feel like it'll be more about what Bubba can bring to the table in terms of evidence that, hey, man, there wasn't any intent. That, I think that it'll be easy for NASCAR to prove their case and it'll be – It'll be up to Bubba whether he can he has anything to be able to bring to the table and saying, hey man, this is this is part of the car that was broken that didn't allow me to you know steer the car correctly or whatever. So, well, it remains to be seen on what really comes from that, but um, I think it'll be handled very similarly to to Noah's issue at, at Road America, and and that'll be the end of it. I don't disagree with anything you said. I want to ask you about the post race interview though, like the the exchange with Bubba and. Marty? Marty, yeah. yeah. Did you have I, like I have an opinion about that? I thought I actually kind of liked it, but did, did you think only, anything of it? Well, the only thing that I thought was interesting is Marty. Um, Marty stood, you know. Marty kept kept fishing. Yeah, you know. And so <laughs> the reason why that's interesting to me is because I've been I'm in the meetings in that's I'm in the meetings or in I'm privy to conversation about. Our, what our bosses think about our interviews and, and the questions we ask 
particularly with the pit reporters. So the pit reporters are put in a unique situation where they are the ones that have to stand there in that moment. It's, it's uncomfortable. The driver's mad. He doesn't want to even be there. He knows he's getting ready to have to get asked the question that he doesn't want to get asked, right? This happens in, t- in tons of interviews. How many times have we seen Kyle Busch roll his eyes or, 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 or you know? At Marty. Yeah. <laughs> Marty seems to be that right. guy every time, right? Yeah, so, um, <laughs> you know, I've done it, you know. So it, every, every – this is a tough situation for the pit reporter, but he's doing a job. And Marty kept doing his job, and, and which I found pretty uh, – very veteran-like mm-hmm. sort of interview from Marty. He's as good as they come. This guy – this guy's been a pit reporter uh, the majority of his career, and he's been doing this for as long as I can remember, way back in the early days of my career. And Marty, over the last – not to get out of not to get off topic here, but Marty over the last couple of years has been doing our um, pre and post race shows. So Marty has to Marty has to study really really hard to do that post race show. You gotta you gotta know the whole script. Yeah. Right. And so he has to do he has to study for that. He has to study for everything he's gonna do during the race for his hits on on uh, pit road. He has to change in out of costume. He's got to wear a suit and a tie. You know, suit and a tie pretty much for the for the for the uh, the pre and the post, right? And then he's got to jump back into his pit, you know, his pit road stuff. This guy works harder than anybody, anybody on our on our talent, mm-hmm. right? When it comes to talent, uh, he works harder than anybody. And and and, uh, but I just that was, I don't even remember what Bubba said. He said you're fishing or quit fishing. Yeah, That's right. Literally what he said. Yeah. Which I kind of liked that moment because it was a driver who wasn't giving us the. I just hate it for my guys. They just worked so hard. My car was fast. I mean, like he said those things, but he also had a moment of uh, of you know vulnerability and emotion, which is what we expect out of Bubba. So that that yeah. was vintage Bubba, right? But then I also like the fact that Marty didn't back down from it. Yeah. Marty's like, I'm not fishing. Yeah. I wish Marty would have stayed with the question and made him answer it. Uh, but he actually moved on to the next thing, which I thought. But I thought they both had a very it was a beautiful moment for me because I'm like thinking you got a driver who's you know really got all the guards down and he's emotional and he's showing it and I will always appreciate that about Bubba I did not I agreed with everything you said about the the the, the situation so we're not going to rehash that but I do appreciate Bubba brings it on the interviews for better or worse and then I also liked I thought Marty showed why he's such a professional yeah. uh, by not just letting him get away with it and, and dictate the, the next move. So, yeah. yeah, it was, it was, uh, that, that moment, you know, I don't know the, the race, the first stage was kind of the, it was uneventful in the first stage and the groove was right around the bottom. And so the cars weren't really moving around a lot. And then all of a sudden, man, that race changed mm. for the, you know, for the better in terms of drama and excitement, uh, all the way to the end, there was something happened. We had a, we had a great battle for the win, uh, between Chastain and Logano. Um, anyhow, yeah, I think they'll I think they'll look at this situation as is the same way they did with Gregson, but I could see the and so if I don't know what the multiplier is from Xfinity to Cup, anybody's guess on what that is. If Gregson's thirty thirty points and thirty thousand dollars, I would say the you know, that that sounds like about a hundred point, hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine coming coming to Bubba in twenty three eleven. 
the tough part about that, I think, is that the you know they put Bubba in the 45 for the owner's points. Uh, there's some monetary gain for them to try to finish as well as possible with the 45 and the owner's points. That if they get 100, you know, if they get a, a sizable owner's points penalty, uh, I don't I don't know if that you know that's obviously not a good thing, hmm. and that might um, that might be interesting to see. Yep. how that all rolls out. But uh, this would be a good week to listen to Door Bumper Clear if anybody's out there. You're wearing your DBC shirt. I, I am. Yeah, I'm, it's, I, tell them what you said when you yeah, walked in. It's either going to be the best Door Bumper Clear ever or the very last. <laughs> I don't disagree with ever. that either. I, but, I'd be curious to see what Freddie's got to say about that. For sure. Kurt Busch announced his retirement, and uh, you know that's uh, for me. That's I, I'm 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 sad and happy about that. You know, I hate that Kurt is ending his career prematurely. I know that he, like everybody, uh, would love to end whatever they're doing on their own terms and make that decision for themselves. Uh, but in our sport, sometimes that decision's made for you by multiple reasons, whether it's injury or performance or the team going in a new direction, a young driver pushing you out, whatever it may be. Um, but I really am proud of Kurt for sort of realizing where he is, having some self-awareness, listening to the doctors. Um, also, he did, he is recognizing the natural you know, cycle of this sport. And I think that I, you know, when I was going through what I went through in 2016, I raced that final year, all of those decisions were made with Alex Bowman's future in mind. Even the decision to come back and run that final year in 2017, we all sat down and said, hey, Alex, this, this is going to be your car, but I need you to wait a year, you know, and, and you're going to get to do some things. You're going to go drive an Xfinity car and a couple of, but you're going to sit around a lot too. And I just need to do this one last year, right? But I felt that as we, you know, as I was watching Alex drive my car at the back end of 2016, and maybe Kurt's done this too, right? As Kurt's been at the racetrack and watched watch the other drivers drive his car as hard as it is to watch another driver drive your car you also watch that driver bring in this youthful excitement this passion this determination to make it um, and I bet that Kurt sees that in these younger drivers he sees it in Ty Gibbs he probably sees it in Reddick knowing Reddick's coming over there to drive and he's he's looking at them and going yeah, they're they're hungrier than I am today. These guys, they I can't stand in their way here, right? I got to get out of the way of this natural cycle of progression, and that's kind of the way I felt too about Alex. You know, I looked at our team, and I bet Kurt may be doing this. I looked at my team, and, and Kurt maybe looks at his team and goes, you know, they deserve this opportunity with Reddick, and 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 they're excited about this new fresh opportunity with Reddick, right? And so while Kurt would, if Kurt were to get healthy and stay in the car, he would be amazing and do great things. But he's also understanding and recognizing that it's someone else's time, mm -hmm. you know? And so um, I felt, you know, that, that, that I, I picked up on that a little bit in some of the words he was using in the media and some of the things he said. I thought that was really cool. 
Because that way, Kurt also doesn't have to put this whole thing on the injury. And it sort of gives you, as, a, as the individual having to step away, a little relief. You know, that there's multiple reasons here, multiple good things. There's some silver lining. There's, there's all kinds of various components that will be affected by this in a positive way. You know, that this whole thing doesn't have to be sad and depressing. And so I'm, I, I, I was really, uh, really glad to hear that from Kurt because this type of situation can be really damning and, and hard on a driver. And, and, you know, Kurt, Kurt could have been walking around with a cloud over, over him and uh, in a really bad space. But it appears that, you know, he's sort of channeling some positivity and, and using some of the, some of the positive things that will be coming out of this as a way to get him through it. Um, and I hope that, he is able to get healthy, and I hope that he is able to do these bucket list items that he mentioned, go do whatever he wants to do, drive a car, whatever it is, a trip he wants to take, a place he wants to go see, what something experience that he wants to, wants, to, wants to go through, whether it's even racing-related. It doesn't matter. Um, but I just hope that, uh, you know, whatever it is he wants to do, he can, he can, he can go do it. A lot of times we get, we get, burnt, you know, we get kind of uh, in a – in a state of depression and even though we had these things on our list or had this intention and wanted to set out and go do these things we end up going home and sitting on the couch and mm-hmm. and and not going anywhere yeah and not doing anything you got to find purpose you got to find purpose uh, in the post racing career and that's the, that's still to be determined i hope he finds it yeah i think he will he's very busy um, in terms, you know, when I've, what I've been witnessing uh, out of him over the last several months, even going through his rehab and whatnot, he's, he's busy day to day, right? He's occupying himself with, with many things and going to places and doing stuff and still actively involved in all his responsibilities off track uh, in terms with his partners and sponsors and charitable initiatives. So I, I think that he'll be, he won't be a guy that ends up stuck on the couch wondering, what to do with the rest of his life. I do not see Kurt doing that, but um, I want my vote for him. And just for the, uh, the ironical part of this is for him to become a NASCAR official or lead the competition department one day. Would that not just be funny? I've just, that's what I'm pulling for. I want on the record to say, that's what I'm not saying next year. I'm not even saying two years. I'm saying uh, one day run competition for NASCAR. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that that is a hell of an idea. I never, I never even thought about that, Mike. But damn, knowing that, knowing the detailed way he is about his racing and test when he goes to tests and so forth, he's super thorough with his feedback and very knowledgeable of the car and understanding of what's going on. Pretty smart guy when it comes to the, just the technology and so forth. Yeah, got an interesting. He's got an interesting mind that I could see would would probably maybe benefit NASCAR and the technical side yeah. if he was a part of the competition in terms of the officiating and so forth. Whether he'd want to do that, I don't know. But I could see Kurt Busch um, succeeding there, possibly even maybe one day being up in the NASCAR booth and, and, and ter- in a race director position or something like that. Regardless of what he does, he is a great communicator. He yeah. does actually put thoughts together and communicates them. And they, listen, we take that stuff for granted, but there's not a lot of people that are you know really good at that. And he is one of them. Yeah. He 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 actually does. You know the 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 booth in the NASCAR booth where the race control is has many past drivers in it. 
Chad Little, yep. Elton Sawyer, just to name a few. So uh, busy week for SHR. Uh, Cole Custer penalized at the Roval. Uh, Tony Stewart mad at NASCAR mm, over yeah. in the NHR garage, NHRA garage, on uh, <laughs> just uh, just going to town. On Let it. her fly, boy. Um, that that didn't really. No. I mean, Tony Stewart mad at NASCAR is not a yeah, not a new thing. No, not shocked. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise. Yeah, you know, entertaining always is. Yeah. Where did where did you hear this information about Gene Haas? Jenna Fryer tweeted it out like, I saw it. before the race. Okay, the Gene Haas wants Cole, Cole wants Cole Custer to have another year to prove himself. Yeah, and that Tony Stewart wants Ryan Priest in that car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I and saw that, that. That was from Gene Haas on the grid. Yeah. Is that's what right. Jenna said. Yeah. Wow, that's right. I thought that was pretty open and candid for someone. Well, listen, well, imagine being a driver and seeing that come yeah. across Twitter. Like, sorry, but you're gonna get out of the car and be like, oh well. Apparently one of my bosses doesn't want me in the car, and yeah. the other one does. Like, sorry, but if I, that would create a pretty uncomfortable situation for me. Yeah, I wonder how that goes with. Um, and I don't want to piss Jenna off, but like, so does Jenna say to um, Gene, "Hey, Gene, can I use this on the record? Is this on the record that you're telling me that Tony Stewart wants wants Priest, and you want?" Listen, I what mean, think? I, I think Jenna does give people the courtesy of a of a confirmation yeah. of what's on the record and off the record. So we've he, had so Stuart, so Gene knew that he was telling Jenna to publicly go and say that Tony Stewart wants Priest, and that and that Custer would hear this. My assumption is yes, but I, it would just be an assumption. I don't know. Custer would read this, and now now today Custer's walking around in his house going, "Freaking Tony Stewart wants Ryan Priest instead of me." And I wonder if these conversations have already been had behind closed doors. Maybe, yeah. That's my assumption. I mean, like when I read that, I didn't yeah. think that that was like, news to Cole Custer. But it could be. Listen, there's a lot of times we all think that teams are talking to each other and they're not, or certainly talking to drivers and they're not. So, I mean, it would have been believable that they would have been talking about Cole Custer considering we were on the heels of a big penalty from, from the Roval, which Cole was involved in. I don't know if that's what sort of predicated the conversation. I have no idea. I know that at times I even forget that Cole Custer's out there. So it's it's certainly a, a reasonable question to, to know what his future at SHR is like. Um, and I know that people are big into Ryan Priest, yeah. frankly. I mean, I think that everybody's wanting him to get a, get his Let shot. Me, let's be clear. If we put a poll out and said, hey, you're, you're, you're an owner, you're hiring one of these two drivers, Priest is going to win that vote over Cole Custer. But to be clear, I mean, Cole Custer won a buttload of Xfinity Series races the year before he came to the Cup Series, mm-hmm. and SHR has not performed well. They don't. They haven't ran well this year. They're they are you know they are having some good high points here in the back half of the season. Harvick won a few races. The 14's still well alive in the points battle going into the play uh, going into the final round, but. It, you know, I've I've been experienced. I've experienced this four car teams. Okay, four car teams. Traditionally, 90 percent of the time, only two, maybe three, will run really well. That fourth car of the four car team typically is going to run. There's going to be a car, right? Right. They all four don't run. Right. They all four don't win. They all four don't run the same, right? Um, they've ran. <laughs> Mid-pack this year, at best, for at least the first half of the year, and Cole is in, has been running the shit. I can't really – I mean, if if all the SHR cars were running in the top ten and Cole's back there in 30th, then I'll go, hey, man, all right, Cole, it's time to time to change your career path, right? 
it's time to time to maybe move over into the 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 the, the business side of it. His dad is a big part of running that organization, and and that could be his future. But um, you know, if he wants to keep racing, he can keep racing. But I think honestly, in my mind, unless something drastic changes in the next twelve months, I don't think that Cole's going to be around much longer in the Cup Series. Well, and and I'm to only say that to to he he's he's going he's going to be faced with a dilemma of what am I going to do? Am I going to go drive a truck or Xfinity car because I like to race, or am I going to wrap my brain around the idea that I need to change my lane and look at what my dad's doing or try to become part of you know the 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 management side of this business and what role what opportunity is really there for cole in that respect but you know he is vulnerable in terms of his i mean it's obvious that he's vulnerable because they're you know one of his owners yeah doesn't want him in the car car, but (laughs) and tony may refute that tony may say hey i don't actually feel that way but you know i i just feel like that his days are numbered and he might need to start you know, having a plan B, and maybe he already has one, right? Maybe he's already has this decision made out in his mind. Well, and I wonder if this wasn't a point of contention until Eric Almarola decided that he wasn't retiring. Because if he wasn't retiring, that 10 car was going to be open. Uh, So then Priest probably would have went there, and then Cole Custer's ride probably wouldn't even have been in question. And now all of a sudden there's nowhere to put Priest. So who's going to go? Eric brings sponsorship with Smithfield. No, you're yeah. right. So I, think, I wonder if that was not even a conversation until this all came back up, and all of a sudden they're like, uh-oh, we've got five drivers that we want, four cars, first one out. I, I, I think you're right. But I also know that Priest was um, offered a contract from a non-Ford car in a different series. So that makes me wonder just how aligned with Ford and SHR and how in that pipeline Priest still is today. Yeah. Right? I know. Um, I know he was sort of. It seemed. It seemed at least earlier, even in, in this year, that Priest was part of the plans, the future plans. But now, but hearing that he was offered and considering a ride in a different manufacturer in a different series makes me wonder how tight is that relationship with SHR. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. We'll just start watching drag races and see if Tony has something to say on a week-to-week <laughs> basis. <laughs> Maybe Priest is in the drag race uh, drag <laughs> There you have it. Dirty Air presented by Filter Time, episode 404. The full show will be out tomorrow. Let's call it late afternoon. Give me some time to eat some breakfast, you know, kind of get the day going and then crank that thing out. Uh, with guest Eric Jones. It was a great conversation, guys. I enjoyed sitting back here in the booth and just listening to Eric talk about his career, uh, his father's passing, and what all went down with JGR. It was really, really interesting. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Dale right now is in New York doing a media tour for his brand new children's book, Buster's Trip to Victory Lane, which is available now, and you can get it wherever you get books. So yeah, pick that up and uh, enjoy the full episode tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow. Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.